Well, today we are going to conclude our series called Stop. Now, although we might not like to stop, we might think that stopping will slow us down, and we're just too busy for it. But actually, stopping keeps things moving. Isn't that right? The fact that we are willing to stop, the willing that other people are willing to stop, that keeps things moving. Stopping actually helps everyone get to their intended destinations. This is not only true in traffic, but is also true in life. Well, today's subject is stop deception. Stop deception. Now, the word deceive means to believe something that is not true. To deceive means to give a false impression. It means to be unwilling to admit the truth to oneself. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 3, the Bible says, But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So I want to talk about deception for a few minutes this morning. I'm going to give you four things that I want you to consider about deception. First of all, let's talk about the fact of the matter. First thing that I want us to consider this morning is the fact Of the matter. And there are two facts that I want you to consider. And the first fact that I want you to consider this morning is this, and that is everyone struggles with deception. Everyone struggles with deception. And if I get a little bit of feedback and a little bit of help from the audience, I'll be a lot better preacher today. So everyone struggles with deception. The scripture we just read in 2 Timothy listed deceiving. And being deceived. See, see, sometimes we are deceived and sometimes we are the deceiver. And according to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, sometimes we even deceive ourselves. So the first fact that I want us to consider this morning is that everyone struggles with deception. The second fact I want us to consider this morning is this, and that is deception is one of Satan's most effective strategies. One of the devil's most effective strategies. Just think about it. It's, it's the strategy that he used on Adam and Eve way back in the Garden of Eden that got mankind all messed up in the first place. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 1, the Bible says the the serpent, who we know, the the enemy, Satan, was speaking through the serpent. So Satan said to to Eve in Genesis 3 and 1, he, he, he said to Eve, he said, did God really say you couldn't eat of that tree? Did God, is that what God really said, that, that you could not eat of that tree? No, no doubt the serpent probably said to Eve, why would, God, why would God give you all of these trees to eat from and point out this one single tree out of all of the hundreds or thousands of trees in this garden? Why, why would God allow you to, to eat from any and all of these trees? But God would point out this one single tree and forbid you from eating from it. Why would God do something like that? And in verse number three, the serpent said to Eve, he said, you won't really die. Oh, you won't really die. Perhaps the serpent said to Eve, just look at that tree. Wow, wow, just look at that tree. Why, it's the best-looking tree in the entire entire, entire garden. Out of all of the trees, it's the most wonderful, most beautiful, the most luscious tree in the entire garden. Why? Why would God want you to eat less than the best? Surely God wants you to have the best. Yeah, deception is one of Satan's most effective 
strategies. He's been practicing it and perfecting it now for over 6,000 years. How many know Satan is a great salesman? He's a great salesman, and he can get us to become blind to what is there and to see what is not there. Revelation 12 and 9 calls Satan the deceiver of the whole world. All right, we've considered the fact of the matter. Now let's consider the faking, the faking that occurs. In Genesis chapter Uh, 27, the story, and most of you in this room this morning will recall the story of the twin boys named Jacob and Esau. If you'll read the story, you'll find out that although they were twins, yet they were actually polar opposites in every single area, in looks and likes and everything Else. If you'll read the story, you'll discover that Esau was a daddy's boy and Jacob a mama's boy. You read the story, you'll discover that Esau came out of the womb first. So although he was only moments perhaps older than his twin Jacob, but technically he was the firstborn. And in those days, the firstborn son got extra privileges, but also extra responsibilities. You read the story and you'll find that it came time for for Esau, the firstborn, to receive his father's blessing, which that was a custom in that day too, and a wonderful custom that it was that the firstborn son would receive the blessing of the father. And when it came time for Esau to receive the the, the blessing, uh, Jacob, through the help of his mother, deceived his father Isaac. How many remember the story? And Isaac... Remember, he was old, couldn't see. He was old, he was about to die. And Isaac, thinking that Jacob, who had disguised himself to look and to even feel like his brother Esau, Jacob deceived his father, and Isaac mistook Jacob for Esau, and he gave Jacob the father's blessing that belonged to Esau. We're talking about the faking that occurs. Here's the sad truth. Most people are wearing a mask. Most people have on a disguise. Jacob disguised himself in order to look like his brother Isaac. Oh, it is so sad but true that too many people today disguise themselves in order to appear like they look like somebody else. They have this misconception that that in order to be accepted or in order to fit in or in order to appear successful, they've got to look a certain way, they've got to act a certain way, they've got to present themselves in a certain way. And so they put on a mask. They they, they begin to play let's pretend. They, They do the song and the dance. Oh, they play the role. They practice deception. And it is so sad. And people wear a mask for a variety of reasons. Sometimes they wear one in order to appear to be somebody that they're not. 
Their lack of self-confidence says, I will not be received. I will not be accepted. I will not be appreciated. I will not be loved. I will not get anywhere in life if I present who I really am. And so they look at somebody else and and it appears to be successful and they copy their life after them, the way they look, the way they talk, the way they act, the school they go to, the classes they take, the things, the song and the dance. And they do the song and dance. It's a disguise trying, trying to become somebody that they're not. And then there's others who wear a mask in order to cover up who they are. Because they don't want people to see their flaws. They don't want people to, so, so, they don't want people to see their imperfections. They, they, they think if people see me as I really am, if people see me with my flaws and my imperfections, if people see who I really am, I won't be received. I won't be accepted. I won't be one of the gang. And, and so they put on a mask to cover those flaws or imperfections or things. Up. We're talking about the faking that occurs. Let me suggest this to you this morning. I believe unrealistic expectations is a major cause of deception. Unrealistic expectations, I believe, is a major cause of deception. The unrealistic expectations that people put on us and the unrealistic expectations that we place on ourselves. I know that as a pastor, and especially in my younger years as a pastor, I had unrealistic expectations of my church members. I had unexpected or unrealistic expectations on their attendance. Unrealistic expectations on their giving. Unrealistic expectations on their lifestyle. Unrealistic expectations on their love and support of me. I set the bar in my early years of ministry. I I set the bar incredibly, incredibly, incredibly high in those early years of ministry. Well, some people think I still do. I also placed unrealistic expectations on myself. In my early years of ministry, I went to the office seven days a week. Seven days a week. Didn't want anybody to think this pastor wasn't on the job. Bless your heart. I'm God's man of faith and power for the hour. And I'm not exaggerating. Seven days a week. I wasn't there all day, every day. But seven days a week, I was in my office. Stupid. Stupid. I, I also placed unrealistic expectations, especially on my poor wife. And, and I allowed our church members to place unrealistic expectations on us. And you young ministers today, you don't have a clue. And I don't say that with any, but you don't. You don't know what ministry was like 40 years ago, 50 years ago. You don't know the, ex, the, the unrealistic, ridiculous expectations that was on the pastor and his wife in those days. I 
I allowed our church members to play un, place unrealistic expectations on it. It's a, it's a wonder that we survived for going on 48 years. By the way, statistics say that only 10% of pastors do survive. Statistics tell us that only one out of every 10 who begin in full-time ministry will finish in full-time ministry. I don't know, but perhaps the main reason is unrealistic expectations by both minister and member. In Acts chapter 5, there's the story recorded of a married couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Notice, not Elvira, but Sapphira. Sapphira, boom, 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 Sapphira, okay. We hadn't had the offering yet, so it hadn't cost you anything, so come on. (laughs) You'll read the story. You'll find that this couple sold a piece of property, and they brought a portion of the money that they gained through the sale of this property to the apostles as an offering for the church. You might say, Pastor, what's wrong with that? Absolutely nothing. There was nothing wrong with the fact that Ananias and Sapphira sold some property and then brought a portion of the sale of that property to the church. That in and of itself, there was nothing wrong with that. Although most of the members of the early church were selling their stuff and placing all the money in a common treasury to be distributed between the members as needed. But I want you to know that it was not a requirement. Ananias and Sapphira were not required to do that. That was a common practice. And most people in the church were practicing that. Most people in the early church were doing that, but it was not a requirement. Ananias and Sapphira's sin was not in presenting only a portion or a part of the proceeds of the sale. Their sin was a sin of deception. Although they only brought a portion of the money from the sale, they presented it as if they were as, as if they were presenting the entire amount. And when Peter asked them point blank if it was all of it, if if, if the money they were giving was the entire sum of the of, of the proceeds that they received from the sale of the property, if this was all of it, they both lied to the apostle Peter and both said yes, trying to deceive the apostles, trying to deceive the church. See, they wanted the recognition and the praise of the people. They wanted to fit in. But the Holy Spirit revealed their intended deception to the Apostle Peter and God's judgment fell on both Ananias and Sapphira. And if you'll read the story, you'll find that they both fell down dead. And let me remind you that this happened in the New Testament. Now, I can't say for sure this morning, but perhaps, just perhaps, unrealistic expectations by other church members were placed on Ananias and Sapphira to do what they had done. Hey, look what we're doing. Look what we have done. You should follow suit. You should do as we have done. And I don't know. I can't say for sure, but perhaps unrealistic expectations by other church members were a factor in what Ananias and Sapphira did. But I also know that the bottom line is that they, of their own choosing, decided and conspired together to try to deceive the church and its elders. But still, unrealistic expectations could have been the major cause that pushed them over the edge along with pride and greed. 
Philippians 2 and 12, Paul writes, and he says, work out your own salvation. Say your own salvation. You know what he's saying there? Mind your own business. That's the new Benson Revised Version right there. That's the Bulldog Version right there. Mind your own business. That's what he said. Proverbs 2 and 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. My admonition to you today is work out your own salvation, not someone else's. Oh, I should have got a lot of amens right there. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it until I get a big amen. I said, my admonition to you today is work out your own salvation, not someone else's. Let them work out their own. And don't place unrealistic expectations on your brothers and your sisters in Christ. And don't expect other Christians to adhere to your personal convictions. Now, there are things in the Bible that are black and white, but there's a lot of things in the Bible that are not black and white. And the things that in the Bible that are black and white, we should see them as black and white. But there's a lot of things in this Word that I can see it one way, you can see it some other way, and somebody else can see it another way. It's not black and white. And so let everybody figure things out on their own. Don't expect other Christians to adhere to your personal convictions. And don't let other people force their personal convictions on you. Am I doing okay this morning? Doing all right? Okay, five people said I'm doing okay. I better pick it up a little bit. Maybe I'll get some more on board. Hey, let's look quickly at the third thing I want us to consider today about stopping deception. That is the fight it will take. The fight it will take. John 10 and 10 says the thief. Who's the thief? Satan. The thief or the devil comes to steal. He comes to kill and he comes to destroy. Satan, whose nickname is deceiver, he will do anything. He will do everything that he can to bring us down. If we endeavor to stop deception in our lives, we're going to have, to, we're going to have a fight on our hands because the devil doesn't give up easily. I want to give you two tips this morning. I don't want to just tell you to stop but I want to help you stop this morning. So I'm going to give you two tips to help you stop deception. The first tip is obtain an accountability partner. If you're not going to practice deception, you're going to need an accountability partner. So obtain an accountability partner. The wisdom writer Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, chapter 4, verses 9 uh, through 12, he says... He says two are better than one. Why are two better than one? Well, he gives us the answer because they have a good reward for their labor. Uh, He said if they fall, one will lift up his companion. I've fallen and I can't get up. Again, the offering hadn't been taken. You hadn't paid anything (laughs) For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And though one may be overpowered by another, two can, resist, can withstand him. And a three-fold cord is not quickly broken. So the first tip this morning is to obtain an accountability partner. The wisdom writer also wrote in in Proverbs, Proverbs 17 and 17, he said, a friend loves at all times. And he said, a brother is born for adversity. See, God did not intend for us to live life alone. 
He gave Adam Eve. Uh, God gives us parents. Uh, he, he gives most of us siblings. <laughs> that can be good and that can be not so good sometimes. He wants to give us a friend. So, so whether your accountability partner is your mate, your sibling, your best friend, or your mentor, or whoever that it might be, in order to fight Satan, you need somebody that you can trust explicitly. You need somebody that will stand with you, and you need somebody that will fight right along with you. You need someone that loves you unconditionally. Someone that has your back. I've had people tell me in the past, I've got your back, Pastor, and I want to say, yes, please remove the knife. You need somebody. <laughs> you need somebody that's not jealous of you. You need somebody that won't turn on you. You need somebody that's not going to sell you out. You need somebody that you can share your heart with. You need somebody that, that you can take your mask off with and be real. You need somebody, oh, oh, that, 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 that you can share your doubts and share your fears and share, and, and share your failures with. Oh, I encourage you to obtain an accountability partner. But I want to say be very, 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 very careful in choosing. Once you have obtained an accountability partner, then the second thing I would, second tip I have for you this morning is to organize an offensive Strategy. Organize an offensive strategy. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, Paul writes, he says, The weapons of our warfare are not of this world, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 through 18, we're we're instructed to put on the whole armor of God. And there's been a whole lot of teaching. There's been books written about it and, and all of this and series done on the whole armor of God. And, and, and we all should be familiar with the whole armor of God. Much is said about the defensive armor listed there, but too often little, if anything, is said about the offensive weapons mentioned there, which are prayer and the word. It's not that we just should cover ourselves from head to toe, and we should, and thank God. He has given us covering, and if you will understand that the whole armor of God, it's all Jesus. Every single one of those things, every single one of those are Jesus. It's put on Jesus. Not only do we have defensive armor, but also we have offensive weapons. Listed there is the weapon of the word and the weapon of prayer. I love the story about the football coach who who needed a new football player for his team, and so he sent out one of his coaches to scout and recruit a, a new player for his team. Well, the scout went out, and he watched a lot of football games and made notes and made a list and all, and finally the, finally the, the, the scout returns to the football coach, and, and, and he tells the coach, he says, hey, he says, coach, I've got three players that could possibly, we could possibly recruit. I've got three possibilities. I want you to help me decide who to go after. He told him about player number one. He's tough, coach. Man, he's tough, coach. I was there. I documented the fact. I saw him get knocked down three times, and three times I saw him get back up. He did not miss a play. Now, player number two, coach, man, he's just like player number one four times. Four times, coach, I, I have it documented right here. He was knocked down, and Yet he didn't stay down every single time he got back up. It's a tough dude here, man. 
Well, player number three, coach, man, we should consider him. I, I have it documented here. Oh, no less than five times. Five times I watched him get knocked down. Five times I watched him get back up. He didn't whine. He didn't cry. He didn't ask to be pulled out of the game. He got back up. He played the entire game. He got back up every time he got knocked down. Coach, who do you want me to recruit? The coach said to the scout, Give me one of the players that keeps knocking our guys down. We're talking about the fight it'll take. Organize an offensive strategy. This strategy will include an accountability partner that you check in with consistently. Their accountability, this accountability partner will have your permission to ask you direct and personal questions that relate specifically to your most personal struggles. It will include daily devotions where you read the word and where you I don't know about you, man, but man, with everything going on in the world, man, man, when the Lord directed me to Psalm 91, I was actually driving down the road. Actually, my wife was driving, and I was sitting in the, in the seat next to her, and I grabbed my Bible as I was uh, 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 led of the Holy Spirit, and I opened it in Psalm 91, and thinking about all the things that was going on in the world, man, man, all of a sudden, man, all those things just disappeared, man, when I began to read Psalm 91 and the promises and the provision and the protection that comes from our Almighty God. I encourage you this morning, don't spend so much time on Facebook listening to all the experts. And listen, don't spend all of your time listening to all of the stuff on the news today. I'm telling you, open the Word of God. Open the book. I'm going to tell you, you'll feel a whole lot better. You'll be a whole lot more secure. You'll have a whole lot more peace in your heart and in your spirit. Amen. If you spend time in the Word of God. Spend time in His presence. Whether you come like those of you that have come today, and I think this being spring break and also what is going on in our world, this is awesome. The first service was just as good or bigger than this one right here this morning. And those that have cho- chosen to stay home for whatever reason, I'm not throwing stones at anybody this morning. I'm encouraging you to get into the presence of God. Amen. Whether you come here or whether you do it online, amen, or whether you put on worship music, amen, or you listen to a podcast, but get into the presence of God and get the Word of God into your heart and into your spirit. It will encourage you. It will lift you up. It will bless you. If you stop deception, it will definitely require a fight. All right, very quickly, let's look at the fourth thing, the fourth thing to consider today, and that is the freedom we will enjoy. John 8 and 36 says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free in Here's what I know this morning, that is deception places us in bondage. To be delivered from deception sets us free. Free. Say free. Say free. How he, the Son, sets free is free indeed. Freedom to be ourselves be ourselves. Oh, oh, think about it. Freedom to be ourselves. I don't have to be what you want me to be. I don't have to be what you, the restrictions and the requirements you put on me as your pastor. I have the freedom to be myself. Oh, yes. Oh, what freedom. What freedom. You know, I've been called a bulldog. That's okay. I'll take it. I'll embrace it. 
I've told you many times, the places God has put me, it took a bulldog to get the job done. A lap dog couldn't get the job done where I've been. And let me give you a little bit of hope. Usually when God replaces the bulldog, he gives you the replacement of lap dog. So there's probably a lap dog coming along after a while. <laughs> Be encouraged. You know, I, if I had to dot all the I's and cross all the T's, you'd have to put me in a padded cell. But God has given me an incredible gift in Pastor Landon, who's incredible at dotting I's and crossing T's. And I thank God for that. There's a place for me, but there's a place for him. And I will tell you, and he's sitting right there. He can tell you if I'm not telling you the truth. Hardly a day goes by when something comes across my desk and he sees it as something difficult or something hard. And he says, Pastor, that's why you're sitting in that seat. There's a place for all of us. Amen. Freedom. Freedom to be ourselves, to be who God created us to be. Oh, to be who we are gifted to be, to be who we are equipped to be. To, to, To become comfortable in our own skin. And not only to be ourselves, but to no longer feel obligated to play a role. I will just be honest and vulnerable with you. In my early days of ministry, I played a role. I knew what was expected. Let me rephrase that. I knew what was overexpected of me. I had lived it as a preacher's kid. I knew what was expected. I knew what I could do, what I couldn't do, what I could wear, I couldn't wear, where I could go, where I couldn't go. I knew. And I, even though most of that stuff, I didn't believe in most of that stuff. I didn't, I didn't understand, but I played a role for a while. I certainly made that young lady sitting right there on the front row play a role. But oh, what freedom when you no longer feel obligated to play a role. Do you realize how freeing this could be? And please understand what I'm not saying. Say what he's not saying. Please understand what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't improve yourself. And I'm not saying continue to be rude, crude, and lewd. And use as an excuse, well, that's just how I am. No, no, no. That's not just how you are. It's the way, and we say that's the way that God made me. No, no, no. It's how you've allowed yourself to become. What I am saying is stop deception. What I am saying, stop deceiving and being deceived and stop deceiving yourself. Our takeaway for the message this morning is this. Deception can take you to dark places. Only Jesus can deliver you from deception. Father, I just pray today that you will take this word this morning. God, I know in my heart, I know in my spirit This is the message for the hour, for the day today, and for the people that will receive it and hear it today. And God, I pray, Lord, that Holy Spirit, you will do what I am unable to do. You'll help people to respond to the word that has been presented today.